0: Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome my guest, Charlotta Rotterdam, to the podcast. Charlotta is an instructor teaching in the core contemplative classes, and she is also teaching in the Graduate School of Psychology. On top of that, she is also the director for the Center for the Advancement of Contemplative Education. It is also known as CASE. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm well. Awesome. So I was actually curious, How did you find your way to Naropa? Where did you start? Tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you find your way into this role of teaching and also being a director of a program? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think one thing is that I never knew that what I do now was something one could do as an adult, as a profession. So Um, whenever I talk to my students who are graduating and they don't know where they're going, I say, that's good news, because if you only went (laughs) on what you knew now, Mm -hmm. you'd know it be pretty limited. So I studied philosophy undergrad and then went on to graduate school at Harvard Divinity School and studied comparative religion. And really because... I felt like religion was lived philosophy. It was like Western philosophy gets very heady and intellectual, and Mm -hmm. it's beautiful Mm -hmm. at at the conceptual level. But in a way, it doesn't necessarily relate to everyday life. And so religion to me was how we take those big questions of life. Why am I here? Where am I going Mm. What's death? What's meaning? (laughs) What's next? What's next? Yeah. And take it into how we live everyday life and how we interpret that, whether that's through images or belief systems or ritual or song.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: So there's kind of this like, it matters. Mm -hmm. You know, studying religion felt like it's studying something that really matters to people. So, yeah. And then I decided after I got my master's to go back into the world and not stay on in the ivory tower, although that was sort of a turning point in my life. Okay. And uh, one of my professors in grad school, Diana Eck, who's an amazing Hindu scholar, said, oh, you're moving to Boulder. You need to meet Judah Simmer Brown and meet her at Naropa. And I'd never heard of Naropa. Hey, we know her. We know her. cool. Yeah, so I remember I just... I guess in those days you called people. So I guess I must have called her. And she said, sure, come have tea. Mm-hmm. And so we had tea over in one of these little cottages. So at that point, she said the School of Continuing Education was just starting up at Naropa. That was in 95.
0: Okay, so yeah, I was going to say, when was that?
1: Yeah, 95. Okay. So it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely home. And so I first started working there and then Mm -hmm. started teaching in the religious studies department Mm -hmm. and then in the core college and now graduate school, psychology, sort of weaving together, you know, my own studies and then my own contemplative practice, which has been deepening over these last few decades as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because a while back when I was working in the marketing team, I had to come in your classroom and take some photos. And while there... I was really admiring the way in which you held the class, the way in which you held the conversation, the way in which the students respected the space and respected you and respected each other. I was really having this moment of like, wow, this woman's got it going on. You just like command the classroom and everyone was really enjoying the learning space in which they were in. And I just had this moment where I didn't have the podcast then. This was probably right before the podcast started. And a while ago, I was just like, I want to talk to you, Mm. you know, because I just felt like that was like such a very powerful moment where you can really hold a classroom. And I'm sure it's not easy teaching contemplative education, because not only do you have to have an idea of what the content is about, you also have to embody it. And I felt like you were doing that without even trying. It was really beautiful to see. And so thank you for like inviting me into your class three years ago. Uh,
1: (laughs) Thank you, David. Thank you. That means a lot. I think there's a magic in the contemplative classroom and honestly, you know, I've been teaching this one undergraduate class contemplative learning seminar for Mm -hmm. 11 years now and the other day I walked (laughs) out of my house and I said to my husband, I can't believe I'm still nervous about to go teach this class and then I realized it's because every class is completely different and that dynamic that you're talking about has to do with who's in the classroom Mm. and what kind of day it is and what space we're in and what everyone's bringing to it. So it's not mm. set in stone and then just delivered time after time after yeah. time. Yeah. And that's both what, to me, makes it incredibly exciting but also, at times, a little nerve-wracking, you know?
0: <laughs> I, I can see that. Yeah, being a teacher, just, ooh, I don't know if I'm cut out for that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we all teach in our own way. You're doing your own kind of teaching, I think. I guess so. so. <laughs> I'm behind a microphone
0: just chatting with people. So, wow, 11 years, like, do you get nervous at every class or do you get nervous at every student body that comes in every shift of semester or is it like actually every class?
1: It's interesting. Sometimes I feel it as anxiety or nervousness and sometimes okay. it's excitement, okay. you know, which is very uh-huh. subtle. It's the sort of uprising of energy. Okay. So it's different each time. So I think it's just about freshness, actually. There's a quality. In some way, it's true of every day, right? Like we wake up in the morning and we really have no idea what that day is going (laughs) to be like. And so some part of us wants to be like, well, I know I go here and then I go there. And then it's all, you know, Mm -hmm. But really, we have no idea. Mm -hmm. And so that can both fill you with incredible excitement about Mm -hmm. the potential of the day. And it can also freak you out a little bit, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because I'm not sure if you heard it, but excitement and nervousness vibrate the same. So sometimes we mix them up. Like when you're actually excited, you're saying you're nervous, but you're excited. And so by saying you're nervous, it makes you nervous. And I always say that to people to make sure like, hey, you might be excited and not nervous at all. You're just stoked on the day.
1: Yeah. Totally. And I think it's a beautiful energy. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. life. It's like the fire within us, you know, tapping into that.
0: Yep. I love it. So during your introduction, it said you were the director of CASE. CASE is the Center for Advancement of Contemplative Education. Can you just let us know, like, what exactly is CASE and what do you do?
1: Mm hmm. So CASE was, it had its first iteration like 2008 for a few years it was funded by the Lens Foundation and then stopped and then was sort of reborn 2014 and Judith again mm-hmm. uh, invited me to come on board as the director at that point and the vision for CASE is really to be you might say like a hub mm. at Naropa for all things related to contemplative teaching and learning so yeah. both there's sort of an internal aspect of CASE which is having conversations, having trainings, having dialogue around what contemplative education is, how we do it at Naropa, training Mm -hmm. new faculty. It's an emerging field. So being a place where we can grow what we're doing and also in some ways archive or train in pedagogies that have been developed really uniquely here at Naropa in terms of contemplative teaching and learning. And then there's an outside face of CASE, which is... Bringing that wisdom or opening dialogue with other institutions and other individuals in the wider range of education who are interested in these kinds of things. And so one of the projects we have that we developed maybe two and a half years ago is the Compassion Initiative. And really looking at what is at the heart of contemplative education and saying really at the heart of all contemplative education is compassion, compassion for ourselves, yeah, compassion for other. When we talk about Naropa's slogan, you know, transform yourself, transform the world. Mm-hmm. It's really about compassion for yourself and the world. And so. We developed this eight-week compassion training that's really outward-focused. A lot of Naropa students come to it, but also people from the community.
0: Okay, so it's not so education-based sometimes. It could be workshops facilitated by people around the community. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So can you tell us who's actually in the group? Is it composed just of teachers and people, staff members, or is it actually students? Do students get involved too?
1: It's been primarily focused on faculty yeah. because it's about contemplative pedagogy. But so the core people, so there's Judith Simmer Brown, who's really the mm-hmm. founder, you might say, of CASE and the main faculty head. And then mm-hmm. there's myself as director and then Carla Mueller is on board as program mm-hmm. manager. So we're sort of the three solid people involved. Okay. Jordan Qualia, who's in the BA Contemplative Psych Department is the research director for our Compassion Initiative. So he's been very involved with CASE. Okay. And then there's also a faculty committee And lately, we've actually been involved more with SUN and with students as well Mm -hmm. and their interest, which is wonderful, because we'd love to do more with that and see, you know, how is contemplative education landing for students? What are they Mm -hmm. getting out of it? What are their questions?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And what is SUN real quick?
1: SUN is the Student Union of Naropa. Okay.
0: Yay. Yay. Okay. (laughs) So as the director of CASE, what are your responsibilities to move the mission forward?
1: You know, it's great because there's a lot of freedom. You know, there's both. I work really closely with a group of faculty, the CASE Faculty Council. And so we meet Mm -hmm. every week and talk about how can we support more conversation, more training within Naropa in contemplative pedagogy. But then in terms of outward facing events, you know, it's really like the compassion initiative. We put a call out and said, who's interested in being part of this? So we have a group of seven faculty who came together like three years ago who said, we're interested in this. Okay, And so then we collaborate together. So there's a lot of space to see, you know, what's called for. What are we most excited about? Where are funding opportunities? Obviously, all of that. Kind of what does our world need and what is the gift that Naropa can offer, which I think is actually quite amazing. So then how do we articulate that? How do we package that, whether that's in a training or in getting the word out about what we do here? Okay.
0: So when it comes to facilitating some of these workshops and dialogues and just interactions with other teachers, What are some of the things that could be incorporated into the classroom to provide a more contemplative edge? So, like, say, like a normal classroom is just going about its daily activities. Like, how can we insert some contemplative practices into them? What are some contemplative practices that we can insert?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is a great question, because when we meet with educators at other universities Mm -hmm. who often are, they'll be like, there's this one person who's interested in mindfulness and education and their question is that, like, what do I do? How do I make yeah. my class contemplative? Yeah. And, you know, I think there are different levels of that. There's sort of an outer insertion of something like, okay, let's take a moment of silence at the beginning of class or let's insert a mindfulness bell. So let's say a discussion gets heated. Let's just take a moment and come Mm. back into some sense of our body or the space we're in. It could be around creating space. Like you talked about the space in my classroom. Mm -hmm. So how am I creating literally physically space? Are students sitting in a circle? Are they in rows? Is there someone who's always in the back of the classroom? Is there Mm -hmm. a way of bringing them in? Those are sort of small things, but then there's really in terms of contemplative pedagogy, it's like, how do we infuse everything that we're mm-hmm. learning and we're studying with that sense of the potential of contemplative view, which yeah. is that learning happens at all these levels of our being. That certainly there's something about mind and conceptual learning, but it's mm-hmm. also, how does this make me feel? How does my body react? How do I situate myself right now in yeah. this moment with what I'm hearing? <laughs> how and do listening? I feel
0: right now? <laughs> yes, and that that's
1: actually important. That's not beside yeah. the point. Mm-hmm that actually getting in touch with how you feel right now yeah. is as important and critical and has as much to teach you mm-hmm. as whatever you're reading on page 103 of the yep. book. You know?
0: That's what I realized with my neuroeducation education was feelings matter. They speak to the learning in which we are receiving. So if you're having a bad day, you might also have a bad learning day as well. There might be something into that. But if you notice how you feel and not saying like, oh, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to try to not have a bad day. Have your bad day. It's all good. That's being real. But also being able to understand that while walking into a learning situation to be like, okay, I don't want to put this on anyone else. And I'm just going to have my thing happen. And I'm going to try and receive the information the way I can other than being like, why am I like having a rough time? Rar."
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing that what you're sharing points me to is that learning from this view of contemplative education doesn't just happen in the classroom or when you sit down to do your homework or write your paper or do the reading. they really, you know, I say to my students, this is a lab class and every hour you're not in class is actually lab time. Like your life is the lab of mm-hmm. this class. Yes. So, Whether you're taking a shower or you're lying in bed or you're Mm -hmm. having a conversation with a friend, like maybe that's where the learning emerges. Mm -hmm. But we're always planting seeds for it. And so that might happen in the context of the classroom, but it might happen outside of it.
0: Mm. And then,
1: again, it's like (laughs) then things start getting really exciting. Uh
0: Okay. So speaking of the classroom, (laughs) as an instructor, you teach some of the core classes. Can you tell us what that is like? Because it seems like you would get the first students that come to Naropa. So someone's interested in Naropa, they don't really know what it's about, they apply, they're finally a student, they, get, they have to take these core classes. Can you just like tell us what they can expect? Mm.
1: Yeah, so first of all, I just wanna say how wonderful it is to teach at Naropa and teach Naropa students because I feel like everyone who comes here comes here intentionally. You know, everyone yeah. has their own story. Some of them like, "Wow, well, I just drove up and here <laughs> I am. But nonetheless, they drove up, you know. And so yeah. there is a way in which I find Naropa students, they're aware of that they are here and why they are here to some mm-hmm. extent. The why might be, I'm not totally sure, but something drove me to this or i I just felt moved to be here. So there's a presence that's already there and i would say in terms of what to expect i think it can be intense you know in in a way what's drawing people here to naropa is an invitation to learn in a different way and i would say in a more holistic way in which all parts of your being are being invited to show up in the classroom and so that's the invitation but then suddenly You're being invited to completely show up exactly as you are. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of scary and that's intense. It can be intense. And so there's always a dip in the semester, I Mm -hmm. find, like maybe week four, where the honeymoon (laughs) is sort of (laughs) over. And then it's It's like. like, There's actual
0: work involved, but it has to do with inside of myself.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's like, and I'm still expected to write papers and I'm being asked to look at. How do I really feel? How does this sit with me? Not yeah. just what do I think about it? And so it's really asking people to show up fully. Mm-hmm. And that is intense, I think, for all of us, no mm-hmm. matter how practiced we are. And it brings up stuff. You know, it, It's like calling out your demons, calling out yeah. your insecurities, calling out your pain in some way. We're asking mm-hmm. for vulnerability because that sense of when we get to what's vulnerable, we also get to what's genuine. Mm -hmm. and authentic in who we are. And so that's the transform yourself part of Naropa education is getting to truly know yourself.
0: Yeah, which can be fun and scary all in one. It's one thing to read a book that, you know, say like you assigned to me chapter three, and I read it. And our assignment is to like, see how it makes you feel. It's one thing to be like, oh, that made me feel very insightful. I'm really thinking deeply. But then it's also another thing to think of, why do I feel that way? Why did that promote feelings of that? And why is it that I feel that? So it's not just feeling a thing and moving on. It's investigating the feeling. Where does the feeling come from? Why do I have this feeling? Is it being triggered by something else? Did I read something in that chapter that also reminded me of something else? So it has a very knowledgeable, deep center of Why? I really like that. You don't get that at most places.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in the writing that we ask students to do and the reflections, there's always a piece about make it real in your real life lived experience. So give an example, Mm -hmm. you know, because sometimes we can spin all kinds of stories intellectually. But then to think, well, when did I experience this thing? Or what's my relationship to this idea in my personal life? Like really directly. And that takes a different type of thinking and awareness. But I think whatever we're talking about, the topic comes alive.
0: Yeah, it makes it real if you can, like, relate to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so... When teaching in a contemplative setting, there's this idea referred to the conceptual thought and non-conceptual knowing. Can you even like explain to us what that actually means? Like, What does it mean to have conceptual knowing and to have non-conceptual knowing? Mm-hmm. And what is it to even know what that is? <laughs>
1: so first, basic distinction. So conceptual thought would be the thing, what we think about something, about an idea, and we might think it's right or we might think it's wrong. And a lot of our knowing is conceptual. We have ideas about things or history or, you know, science or many things. We know conceptually we have thoughts about them and we have opinions about them. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other aspect of knowing that we call non-conceptual knowing, which is really what we're trying to get at in contemplative education as well, which is the sense that we can know things without necessarily having ideas about them. And Mm, that... It's
0: like an innate knowing. Yes. Okay.
1: It's both an innate knowing. So sometimes I like to say, like, what do you know in your bones? Like, Mm -hmm. what do your bones know? And you don't have to prove that. You don't have to prove what you know in your bones, Mm -hmm. what you feel. It just is. And then how do you express that, which you know in a non-conceptual way non-conceptual knowing is also the place where a lot of creative expression comes from the arts come from it's like you hear Mm. that riff or that poem comes
0: yeah it's like where creativity likes to hang out too okay
1: absolutely you know we might have Mm -hmm. an idea about something But then when you begin to express it from a creative place, it's almost like you have to do what we've been talking about. Like you have to feel into it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, if I want to write a poem about sadness, it's not just about my ideas about sadness. At some point as I'm writing, I need to stop and feel into what does sadness feel like. Mm -hmm. And then I might even think about a very specific situation in my life that brings up sadness. And then what arises from that place as a poem is coming from a non-conceptual place, non-conceptual knowing. And yet I've expressed something, and I might even express it in words like with a poem. So what we're trying to do in contemplative education is to bring both of those together. So it's not in spite of conceptual knowing. Concepts are great. Thinking Mm -hmm. is great. But that there are other ways of knowing that are equally important and maybe if we bring them all together then there's a richness of knowing that begins to emerge
0: yeah i like that too because there's an idea of how education has solely or not solely but has heavily lied in the idea of concepts and they've not focused too much on the non-conceptual knowing so much but now there is a shift of utilizing both of them because they're extremely useful individualized and they're extremely useful together. So the dynamic between the two. So if you can have a generating non-conceptual knowing within yourself and then a conceptual knowing, you're going to be a very solid individual.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I would say, you know, I don't want to demonize conceptual knowing. There's so much beauty in that. And it's actually coming into right relationship with conceptual knowing. So the concepts we have, like thought Concept is so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. It's what politics is about. It's what wars are fought over, is mm-hmm. concepts, is ideas. Mm-hmm. So what is that part of our awareness that has thoughts? And this is another way in, in contemplative practice of working with conceptual thought. Yeah. What do I think?
0: Uh-huh. And then one of my
1: favorite <laughs> slogans is like, Don't believe everything you think.
0: Mm.
1: So we can think all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, like Actually, Cho Yim in one of his books, he said, you know, when you sit in meditation, you might have a thought of making lemonade and you might have a thought of killing your father. And one seems great and the other feels horrific. Yeah. But he says, don't be surprised by what you think. You can think anything. Mm-hmm. So coming into relationship with our thinking and seeing the pliability of it and mm-hmm. working creatively with it, I think is part of contemplative
0: education as yeah. well. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's very interesting. And yeah, just the fact that conceptual thought is amazing, but a lot of education is solely based in that. And so I think what we're trying to do is trying to stretch the spectrum out of like where the knowing is based in.
1: Yes, exactly. And that knowing sometimes is based in our body, you Mm -hmm. know but our minds are so quick. They're like the loud voice in the room yeah. and the body's sort of like the softer, slower yeah. voice. So sometimes you have to yeah. shut up and just listen to your body. We want
0: to raise our hand and know the answer. <laughs> but what I've realized is the knowing in the mind, the conceptual mind, and then knowing in the heart, probably the, the non-conceptual knowing is in the, based in the heart. I'm kind of guessing here, but the, the heart wants to like hang out and feel what's going on. It's not going to have a, an answer right away cuz it needs to digest what is going on but the mind is just like oh yeah 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 i know the answer pick on me pick on me i know hey over here yeah you know what i mean totally so the the heart wants to hang out and just be like let me like sit with that for like a minute
1: yeah. And I think that what you're sharing is bringing up another thing for me, which is around the importance of not knowing and being okay with not knowing. Because, yes, yeah. the mind, like you said, wants to raise its hand and have the answer and put a period at the end and mm-hmm. like a check mark and the golden yeah. star. Next. Right. <laughs> right. But then it's like, well, what if I could not know
0: mm.
1: and hang out in that space of not knowing? Yeah. And then what happens? Then actually, I get really curious. Because if I'm okay with not knowing and not just trying to fill the gap of not knowing, then I begin to listen more. Like I say, it's like if you go to a city, you don't know a place you don't know, you kind of see things in a new way, right? Mm-hmm. You walk down the street in a new way, yeah, you listen in a new way. Yeah, it's very foreign. Right. Mm -hmm. And like what happens for you? Like when you go to a new city, how do you experience that?
0: Like traveling can be psychedelic, (laughs) you know, the smells, the sight, the language, the people, the interactions, everything is completely different. Right. Completely different. But they're doing the same thing you would do in your part of town that you'd be in.
1: Right. And in that experience, like you're explaining, it's also who you are. Yeah. Is totally new, right? No one's like, oh, that's David. He does a Neuropa podcast. Like, <laughs> like I, I who got is it. this guy? Right? Who is this guy? What's his deal? <laughs> and like yeah. so suddenly in that not knowing space, mm-hmm. everything becomes interesting in a new mm. way. There's like a curiosity and you get to redefine who you are and your relationship to yeah. others. So, in a way, like we talked about waking up in the morning, Mm -hmm. we're actually always in a place of not knowing. Like you and I have Mm -hmm. no idea what's going to happen two minutes from now, really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, that (laughs)
1: same curiosity about, Uh hey, who are you? Who am I? Uh huh. Is always open, always alive.
0: Yeah. I just had a thought where education has this direction where they want to make you know. I wonder how much space is held for not knowing. You're almost like penalized for not knowing, but how much information is in not knowing there's infinite possibilities of where your mind can go, where your heart can go, where the actual thought of how does that actually function? You know, maybe you can think of a really better idea or better way to do things all stemming from not understanding or not knowing we're not taught how to not know. We're, we're taught how to know.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> we're taught to fill the gap, you know. And uh, I love you. Like the um, London subway system, you know, they, it mm-hmm. says mind the gap. Mm-hmm. And to yeah. me, that like mind the gap, mind the gap of knowing. Like when there's a gap mm. in your knowing, to actually take it as a sign of great opportunity, like wow. I don't, know, I don't know the answer yeah. to this. And then hanging in that space of discomfort, it's uncomfortable, right? Because we, like mm-hmm. you said, we want to know. So can I relax in that place of not knowing long mm-hmm. enough that I can surprise myself? And I think all good ideas, fresh ideas, yeah. actually come from that place. And mm. as a creative person, I'm thinking of <laughs> you, like, you know, creating music from, it must also yeah. come from that place of being willing to hang in the gap of not knowing what comes oh, yeah. next.
0: Oh yeah. There's times when you're writing music, you're like, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's going somewhere good. Yeah. We promote so much knowing, but the idea of not knowing, I love the just sitting in the unknowing, being comfortable in that. And I feel like that's one thing we learn is at Naropa, is it's okay to not know things on top of understanding the text the language the questions that are being asked like knowing it when we actually don't know something which is probably half the time or you know a percentage of the time that we're in a classroom setting that's okay yeah because you can figure it out we are adults we know how to investigate information we know how to dive deeper and we know how to learn and so that's why it's okay mm-hmm. like you have the capacity to know But at the moment, you do not know.
1: Yeah. And even, you know, it it doesn't even have to be so black and white. You know, can we have, you know, what Suzuki Roshi, the Japanese Zen teacher, called beginner's mind? Can Mm. we have a sense of beginner's mind even with the things we know? Because we do, as we get older, we do get to know more. It's great. We Mm -hmm. know more about all sorts of things and we know places and people and it's wonderful. It's greater wisdom and greater insight but can we continuously bring that freshness Mm -hmm. of that gap of not knowing or what he called that beginner's mind, which is open. Can we bring that even to the things we think we know or have experienced a thousand times and not just check them off as been there, done that?
0: Yeah. I feel like that's where creativity comes from because if you know it, you know which way you're going to go. That's not creative. Right. It's very logical and it's very easy because you know how to do it, but the creativity is when you're just like, I'm going to try something completely different, and then you let go of all the rules in which you've subjected yourself to, I guess.
1: And I would say that's (laughs) where courage comes in. And so I think of, like in contemplative education, I think coming to Naropa and being here is courageous because exactly the reason you talked about with Mm -hmm. the creative process, it's actually coming to see that our lives are a creative process. Our life is a work of art. Our life is a theater production. Our life is a song, our life is a poem. Uh And so it takes courage to show up and not Mm. know what the next line is. Mm -hmm. But that's where the creativity comes and that's where the beauty comes and that's our unique offering. And the fact that we have all these billions of people on earth and yet everyone's completely unique. And mm-hmm. so also drawing that out, like, what is the next line of your song that's your song, David, mm-hmm. that's going to be different than mine? So the courage is really to be willing to be surprised. And like we've been talking about, be in that place of freshness and not knowing. Yeah.
0: And I love the idea that our life is a story that is unwritten, that we are continuously writing in the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: fun. It's like an adventure.
1: Isn't it? It's like, right? let's go
0: on an adventure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to like a bunch of check boxes, we needed to just check off, you know, and mm-hmm. then and then that's it.
0: All right. So it seems like there is a form of intelligence being accessed to approach learning and also like development. Where do you think that comes from, and how much do you think is uncovered compared to like learned?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. So first, I guess I'd want to say that I consider a question like this to be. I call it a living question and it's not to take it as an out but a living question to me is like there are certain questions which are never answered once and for all but that are important questions and worth holding in our basket of questions and we keep coming back to them. They're evocative questions. It seems to me what your question is pointing to a couple of things that arise. One is what is our innate knowing? Like is education about filling something Mm -hmm. that's empty, or is it about uncovering an inherent wisdom or knowledge Mm -hmm. that we come with? Yeah. So I would say it's probably a both and, but I think one of the aspects of contemplative education, which to me is so exciting, is that it is a sense of uncovering our inherent knowing. Yeah. And that there's a basic intelligence, you might say, or basic wisdom, that is who we are, Mm -hmm. what we are, Mm -hmm. and that education in its best form is about coming to know more intimately what you are, who you are, what is Mm -hmm. in the world, in our reality, in the world. And so as opposed to a layering on, it's actually in some sense almost like a letting go of, stripping down and then what's left. Mm. And what's left is brilliant intelligence, brilliant beingness. And I'll tie in compassion here because sometimes it's said like our basic nature is compassion, is the open heart, is the intelligent heart, the awakened heart. So there's this sense of insight and wisdom connected with incredible heartfulness, connection, warmth, Goodness. Sometimes it's talked about here as basic goodness. And so education is actually coming, for each of us, coming to know that within ourselves and trust it within ourselves. Yeah. Not because we've manufactured it, mm-hmm. but actually because we've relaxed enough mm. to be in it and let it be who we yeah. are.
0: Oh, okay. So... You talked about this education kind of being this thing that we are letting go of something. We're kind of like shedding instead of adding to the pool of knowledge. It's like we have this innate wisdom already that we are uncovering. Where do you think the things come from that get attached to the being that we are essentially trying to let go of? Mm -hmm. Like, is that being subjected to like family situations, friend groups, political ideas? Is it just being around certain communities? Like where do you think Mm -hmm. we get these things attached to?
1: I think it's part of human nature probably because in some ways, you know, the way I was talking about it was sort of innate wisdom, which makes you feel like it's something. Mm -hmm. But I would almost say that that innate wisdom, it's not something you can hold on to it's not concrete and so that can create a sense of fear almost you know like we mm-hmm. kind of want to know stuff we want to know yeah. like who am i what am i supposed to do where am <laughs> i going you know and so mm-hmm. then we attach to things maybe we attach to an ideology like this is absolutely right and mm-hmm. this is absolutely wrong or this is who i am and this is what i like and this is what i don't like cuz it gives me some sense of security right And we all do it. I think it's part of human nature. It's not like it's wrong. Mm -hmm. But where I think it gets us into trouble is when that becomes our identity. That's, we've structured what Mm -hmm. we are, who we are, what the world is based on these labels, on these handles, you might say, of reality. And so there's uh, this idea of the warrior that we talk about in the contemplative learning seminar. And it's an odd word because when I think of warrior, you know, I think about sort of like a medieval knight with all this like iron, steel, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> like
0: going into battle. Totally. Yeah.
1: And they're covered from head to toe, you know, every finger and the elbow and their, even their horse and the helmet and, you know. But that actually warriorship from this view is Taking down the armor of what we've created. Mm-hmm. And we've created in all kinds of ways, just all the ways you describe, you mm-hmm. know, as actually to cover fear of the unknown. Yeah. But that the warrior, in a sense, the, well, the contemplative warrior is taking off all of the steel. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you take off the clothes underneath, and maybe you even take off the top layer of your skin mm-hmm. so that you feel. Like you feel so intensely, yeah, so profoundly. And then that awakened heart I was talking about earlier is actually like your experience. Mm-hmm. Not because you've grasped onto something, but because you're so present in the moment of your yeah. life and things as they are with the other human being you're standing across or the tree or with wherever you find yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: It's super scary. People get really nervous about showing... Their rawness to other people it's not something we're necessarily taught all the time to have the open heart of the warrior We like to go into battle with our armor totally. <laughs> we when someone shows up with no armor and just an open heart you're like damn right you're just here we are right it almost dismantles your armor too exactly. so it's a it's an invitation to show up fully and not. Needing to have this egoic representation of defending yourself, mm-hmm. you can be like, wow, yeah, I was feeling that and I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's, I think, what you're pointing to, too, is like a. I love that you said it's disarming. It's almost like when someone's so genuinely with you exactly as they are with nothing to defend, mm-hmm. you realize there's nothing to fight against either. Like, yeah. Then that's freedom, actually. You know, you think about what does freedom really mean? Mm. It's like the courage of that openness, of total openness. Wow. Mm-hmm. Then what can get at you? It's actually yeah. the greatest, quote unquote, protection, you know? Yeah.
0: It's a, you know, I
1: mean, that's it's sort of we're talking idealistically here to some degree. But I think that's, you know, what we keep pointing at when we're talking about drawing on your own experience, making yeah. it real. You know, all yeah. of this is pointing to taking off those layers of the armor.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So why and how is approaching contemplative education beneficial for someone to pursue and how do you think that shows up in their life once the educational process is over Mm -hmm.
1: well for one i would say that there's a realization that the educational process is never over that hopefully there
0: you go yeah
1: you sign up for life (laughs) so that naropa you know coming to a place like naropa is about gaining tools you know, mm-hmm. and becoming more familiar. It, it is kind of like a laboratory, like you take out some of the other factors of life mm-hmm. and you get to be in a more intense situation with other people who are s- interested in similar things and you get to really explore, what yeah. do I love? What I, And then when you kind of go out in the world, that process continues, but you've got a whole tool belt and you've come to know mm-hmm. yourself in a different way and maybe broader spectrum of who mm-hmm. you are and what you want to do. So I guess that in terms of affecting their life, a couple things. You know, we already talked about beginner's mind. So mm-hmm. I think so there, there can be that sense of bringing beginner's mind into the rest of their life till they're 99 and 105 yeah. or however old <laughs> they get to be, um, that that never ends, that mm-hmm. freshness. And also, you know, I talk about living questions, but I think the power of questions and you as an interviewer, Mm -hmm. I know, you know, it's like so much (laughs) in the question, right? Sometimes it's just the questions we ask, like, what are the questions we're bringing into our life that are in a way guiding us, leading us? Not because we need to answer them with a period at the end, but because they're worth asking and they're worth living. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming out of a background of contemplative education gives you incredible respect for the question and the power of questions to guide because they guide that curiosity and that openness and that creativity. And really, I think also the openness we've been talking about that kind of awakened heart openness is Mm -hmm. like, what is our life really about, but it's offering to others Mm-hmm. If we talk about making the world a better place, that old you know, <laughs> saying, but our offering to the yeah. world, to other beings, and so being really in touch with that and, mm-hmm. and loving that. And mm. I think it's the most meaningful thing we can do. And you can, what that looks like, anything, you know, anything, yeah. it can look like anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a category of the way being of benefit shows up, we all find mm-hmm. our way. But that willingness to tap into the raw heart and to, to lead with the question and that curiosity and the creativity of freshness I think that's what ideally students are taking away with them
0: yeah awesome thank you
1: Or what do you feel about that you're I should ask you you <laughs> graduated <laughs> What have you taken away
0: What have I taken away
1: Yeah in terms of how would you answer that question
0: hmm what I've taken away from contemplative education is, It's okay to not know, and it's okay to feel extremely comfortable in myself. I would suggest one of the best places that it showed up for me was when I was in a job application process, and I was in the interview, and they were asking me all these questions, and I was really nervous, and I can tell I was nervous, but at the same time, I was just like, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know who I'm going to be, and I was just really owning it and i would answer every question to the fullest i can and then i would just allow them to answer and then every question they would ask me i would actually like sit with it and think about it and think think about the moment i didn't come prepared my preparedness was the education you know so when someone asks me a question i don't just like spit off an answer right away i actually sit with it for like a hot second and be like how do i feel right now how does that make me feel what is my authentic answer? Not just like, oh, I know the answer, it's five. You know, it's, it's, math is very like easily answered. But when it comes to like emotional based uniqueness, everyone's gonna have a different answer. But like understanding who you are and where you're at and where you're feeling. And I've, I've found it to just be engaging in the world, knowing who I am, feeling extremely confident. Even when I'm not feeling confident, I'm feeling confident. I'm confident in not feeling.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: So there's this way of like spinning things, and internal investigations is a really good one. Being able to sustain oneself, being able to have the tools to understand my emotional states and my physical states, and just relatability, being able to relate to the world and to the people around me. And it's super beneficial in the like career aspect of it because knowing who you are being a good person goes a long way weird it's not about like knowing the answer all the time it's about knowing who you are and being relatable and having people like you
1: yeah it is so much about connection you know (laughs) i think i've come to appreciate that more and more is when we connect to people, it can be super simple, but just mm-hmm. that sense of one human being being with another, something opens in in that. Yeah. And then we warm to that and we want mm-hmm. more of that and we want to engage more. And then it's like, Okay, well what should we do together? You know, just yeah. like you've told me about stories with holistic life and like mm-hmm. we just enjoy being together. Like and then <laughs> all these great ideas come out of that yeah. and new projects come out of mm-hmm. that. And that's that Kind of coming back to that space of not knowing what we were talking about earlier yeah. and creativity that comes out of that. So mm-hmm. it's beautiful to hear yeah. from your own experience. Hey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I got one more question. So what is your favorite thing about teaching at Naropa? What do you like about it? And what is your favorite topic as well?
1: Mm. I think my favorite thing is the students because they're obviously, this is you know sort of simple, they're always different, but they're always... Uniquely different, and so every time I walk into, and you know, the beginning of the semester, it's like, who am I gonna get to know <laughs>
0: this semester? Yeah, interesting. It's like a new deck of cards every semester for you.
1: And you know, and it's not just newness. Like I realize at this point, it's like I am gonna fall in love with each one of these human <laughs> beings. It's almost guaranteed. It kind of is, but in a completely new way. And uh-huh. I am gonna get to know what it means to respect them and know them in a whole new way as well. Mm -hmm. And so that keeps it incredibly fresh and exciting. And it's the ultimate gift to me as a teacher. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm getting more out of it than they are. I mean, hopefully they're getting a lot out of it, but I get so much from them. So, yeah. Yeah. And in terms of topics, I don't think there's one topic. I think it's about creating the space in which whatever the topic is of that week Mm -hmm. or that class comes alive and there's a way in which there's a freshness maybe that I'm bringing to it or that a student will ask a question in a certain way or say something from a new perspective and it lights up.
0: Yeah. That's my favorite. Ooh, okay. (laughs) I can see that. All right. So that is our time. And I just would like to say it was such a pleasure speaking with you. I've been wanting to speak with you for like a couple months now and like finally found some time and just that one class experience made me realize like how contemplative you could be and how presence really holds an educational setting. And I just really want to appreciate you and admire you for that. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for just like inviting me in your classroom and inviting me to talk to you. And it was just such a pleasure.
1: Wonderful to be with you, David. Thank you so much. Mm
0: -hmm. So I'd like to thank my guest, Charlotta Rotterdam. Charlotta is an instructor teaching in the core contemplative classes here at Naropa, also teaching in the Graduate School of Psychology, and she is also the director of CASE, which is called the Center for Advancement of Contemplative Education. So thanks again. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.